Welcome to Season 2 of WeTal Talks. WeTal is a community for developers and WeTal Talks is our live audio stream. This is a recorded episode from the live stream. We invite inspiring techies from all over the world to meet, host talks and discuss the latest in tech. My name is Charlotte Holman and I'm the founder of WeTal. In this episode, we meet Maria Schiedel, who is the CTO and co-founder of Adressia. We talk about the technical challenges when building apps for people in low-income countries and how to do user research when you're just beginning to understand a new culture. We also talk about what having an address can mean for social and financial inclusion. Today with us we have Maria Schiedel, uh, who is CTO at Adressia, uh, and uh, yes, super awesome to have you here. Thank you, Charlotte. Thank Same. You so much Likewise. For <laughs> Thank you for having me. Uh, so let's start with uh, the basics for us that don't know you. Can you tell us a bit about your background? Yes, I can. Um, I was born a very long time ago, not in the south of Sweden, and then I studied something called computational linguistics, uh, which is sort of a mix between linguistics and computer science and logic and all of that. That was my background. It's like a cross-disciplinary field in the 90s. Uh, and then after that, I, I, I sort of always end up in the intersection between sales and product development. That's where I like it, where you see your products take shape and meet meet users. Uh, mm. So I worked I worked in several. First, I worked a lot with um, research for a few years, and then then in product development. Since then, mm. since well, and we started Adressia four or five years ago. So that's, mm. that's been going on. And uh, how did you become interested in tech from the beginning? I don't remember. I was so very young. I think I've always been interested in, in tech and in solving things and pulling things apart and put it, trying to put them together again. And I can, and everything from, from <laughs> dismounting my tape recorder to trying to s- like knit a pair of uh, uh, mittens or something. It's, for me, that's also like technology uh, in action, basically, I, I I really don't remember a time when I wasn't interested. But and my parents supported that; they were very open and like supportive with tech. My mother is a, a network engineer or worked as that for many years, so mm. it came naturally. I remember we had a. I was twelve when we got our first computer in 1984, mm-hmm. something like that, 83 perhaps. So that was a small, like. Uh, basic computer you the programming language was basic and i remember mm-hmm. you could buy these magazines where you where you uh, uh, had program code written out line by line and i would sit there and draw the map of australia <laughs> on, on our 48k little computer so and tasmania wouldn't fit in because i didn't have enough memory for tasmania <laughs> and then if power went out the the memory was uh, wiped and you had to start over so oh, remember the days. <laughs> you remember the days. <laughs> I also had my first computer when I was nine. Actually, yeah. yeah. Did you have any games? Like, yes, we or? had, and you we had to load them with cassettes. So you mm. had like you bought tape. Yes, I had. <laughs> <laughs> and you just charge, and then you had to sit and wait for a while until the program loaded from this digital or onto the uh, from the cassette. 
and then you could play and hope that no one pulled the cable or something happened because you couldn't really save any results or anything. Mm. So I did play games there. Yeah. And okay, was this your own computer? Did you have any other siblings that? Yeah. We, no, we were we're we're three. So uh, so I wasn't alone with my computer. Or, but I was the <laughs> eldest, so I did take a certain advantage of the situation, I would say. Yeah. So, but we had to share, yes. Uh, cool, yeah. I was a lonely child, so I got my computer to oh, myself. Oh, <laughs> it was yours. <laughs> really yes. yours. But uh, super cool. And then uh, how did you find your co-founder at uh, Adresia? Oh, that's, in, uh, that's a quite a funny story. It was uh, Caroline uh, Berunius and, and my husband had worked together on a project. And they, he wanted her to join him on, on something new or some new project he was starting. And, and she just said that, no, actually, I want you to join on something I'm starting. And then they talked. And after a while, he said, I think you should actually talk to my wife. It sounds more like her kind of thing. And then we met and we hit it off directly and sort of just instantly understood uh, or, or I understood at least the potential and, and that she had already seen then of, of this challenge that half of the world's population live somewhere where there are not enough or enough good quality addresses. The addressing infrastructure is, is not in place, basically. Mm. And can you tell us a bit about Adresia? What's the pitch? So the pitch is, is half of the world's population live somewhere where the addressing infrastructure is inadequate, which means that you don't have access to the same goods and services as, as we here in Sweden, for example, take for granted. It can be hard to get a bank account. It can be hard to, to uh, order things online, obviously. Many, many of the large international providers don't deliver unless there is a, a verified address. Uh, and that's a reality that we we don't really understand until you you don't really understand mm. it until you've seen it or experienced it. Uh, it also means that it's hard for communities and countries and and organizations to do real follow up. Uh, Caroline encountered this when she was working with health projects in Uganda where they could immunize children. They had all the doctors and nurses and and. Uh, shots they needed for the babies uh, but they had a hard time reporting back and saying we have reached this level of immunization because they had this basic problem of identifying babies and in at home it would be or here we would use if we didn't have a, a personal number or a personal registration number yet you would use the parents or the parents address or something mm -hmm. to identify a baby so they gave out a whole lot of immunizations but couldn't follow up and report mm. back. So it's also a problem for society at large to have this, uh, to know where your citizens are and mm. to not, not to <laughs> pester them or, or do something bad, but to actually be able to see are the things you're doing having the desired effect? Are you giving mm. the services to your citizens that you think or and want to do? Uh, so that's sort of where we started with this understanding that it could, that this is a big challenge. And at the time, uh, they solved it pretty well for that, or very well for that use case, so that they could ensure this follow-up. Uh, uh, but but Caroline was left with this feeling that an address isn't something that you should have to invent in every system or in every use case. This should be like the basics, uh, like the infrastructure in a society. It's something that ties us together that is easy to use. Um, uh, and owned by the individual. That was something we 
felt early on as well that this is uh, it's really important that the people people who are individuals are in control of them their own data mm. so how do you solve that uh, technically technically what does the product look like yeah for for oh. you or me if we lived in in uh, Kampala we might we probably wouldn't have an address as we recognize it here we would mm. have a street name and possibly a house number or plot number but what we do is uh, we have an Android app uh, where end users they download the app they stand outside their house uh, we look up where they are with the GPS and we retrieve whatever is available on the online map services and then we present that to the user so they can uh, edit it and take away things that are wrong and add more useful information and also include images of the street view perhaps or and directions uh, because that's how people communicate uh, today that they say I live by the mango tree third row down behind the embassy and uh, our house is the red one with the with the gray roof and that is also included in this address description. And then you tie it together with a username that is your unique username that you then share with friends and family or, or companies or whoever you want to give access. And it's for private individuals, access is uh, completely controlled by you. You decide who can see it and for how long. So if someone wants to see your address for delivery, they they will need to send a request and you will have to approve it and then once you've approved it you pull it back if after the delivery is over so that it's always yours uh, mm. your data is, is protected and then you can add more addresses you can have more you might have your home address your work address your regular pickup point from if your driver comes and gets you or whatever you need your summer house <laughs> or, mm. or or something like that mm. so and for businesses, then it's uh, the both the, the the possibility to be to be found that you as if you are a hotel or a, or a shop or a restaurant, you might want to be able to easily guide people to your place. Mm. We've had heard stories of hotels who lose bookings because uh, the taxi driver doesn't from who picks up a guest from the airport doesn't know where the hotel is, mm. so they take them somewhere else. Mm. <laughs> so the mo- booking is lost. Uh, but it's also a way for for organizations who have perhaps many small outlets like tiny vendors that that sell like SIM cards or something to to uh, be described. They might just work out of a shop somewhere to have this on also on the platform so that when you look for the closest place to to fill up your mobile data, you can see where that is uh, because it's the, the closest to you. Mm-hmm. So that's how that works. And then, of course, we also have APIs and some plugins for e-commerce stores to simplify checkout and uh, order processing and delivery for drivers as well. So that they can, when you place an order, you can can assign it to a driver and the driver can go there and then, yeah, see the address mm-hmm. in their own app. But how did you come up with this idea? <laughs> <laughs> I could never come up with this. <laughs> well, I think a lot of it is, I mean, the the fact that Caroline experienced this firsthand and mm. was sort of stunned by the difference between, I mean, we have had uh, population registry going on for two or three hundred years, and we've had uh, quite elaborate addressing systems uh, for as long as well for living memory basically I don't think people Mm. remember what it's like when there were no addresses in Sweden 
so it was this difference and to see how much more you can do how less you need to how much how well how little effort you need to do things mm-hmm. and when you travel to east africa for example uh, the first thing you notice is that okay if i tell the driver we live on 24 kampala avenue uh, he will just look at me and ask for the landmark because that it's not used uh, be- because it's so unreliable and it's it's easier for them say to say that it's this this or that building instead or close to the embassy or something like that mm-hmm. so i think it was the contrast between what we have now and what we're used to and seeing what oh they spend so much time looking for places we spend so much time looking for places mm-hmm. uh, and the and the, and you call and you and you everything is in someone's head basically mm-hmm. you have to have very local knowledge to be able to expand into a new market which makes it very very difficult to set up shop in a new town because you don't have you don't know you don't know where you are because Mm -hmm. you there's no you really need to get to know people who know where to find (laughs) shoes or where to buy yes exactly (laughs) and and it's for us it's hard to envision that it that this is just the daily this Mm. is the reality for so many people Mm. Um, yeah crazy and very interesting and uh, how did you come up with the idea that you want to be part of a, a company, a fund, founder? <laughs> I think it just sort of happened. Uh, we had, we were both very inspired by the challenge and trying to solve it. And then w- in the beginning, we were thinking, okay, how do we do this? Caroline came from an NGO uh, perspective and mm-hmm. sort of in the beginning felt that that was uh, a viable way. and. Uh, and then we thought maybe we should be a foundation. Who, what do we do with ownership of data, and how do we, how do we do that? And then, sort of at the same time, we realized no, but we really have to be a business because the first, uh, in order to make this viable or even possibly scalable, we have to start generating revenue with, with. Uh, customers and to verify that this actually works Mm. Um, if we go knocking on the world bank's door and say we have an idea to give everyone an address they will just uh, probably just laugh at us and it would take 10 years before we got a small grant or something so we felt that okay we we probably have to do this as a business and then it just happened i would say Mm. Uh, and at the same time or about that time i would say we also realized that when we were discussing how do we do, what do we do with ownership of data? How do we, we wouldn't want to be the company that has this huge database that we then sell. That would, it doesn't feel good. Uh, it doesn't feel like the right thing. And then we stumbled on GDPR, which was then just beginning to be uh, implemented and taking effect. And we were so happy. I think we're the the biggest fans of GDPR <laughs> in town. <laughs> we, it gave us this perfect framework for, it made it so easy to just say user-generated data or user data is user-owned. Uh, mm. And with that as a foundation, everything just solves itself. Users own their data. We create new data, the aggregated data that is not uh, where the, you can't identify the individual, but the user-generated data is their own. They do. They they upload it. They manipulate, change it, manipulate. They edit it, mm-hmm. and then they uh, they can remove it whenever they like, and they are mm-hmm. sort of invisible uh, when they want to be. So, and it, it especially in countries where where it's very very with a very troubled past like Rwanda. Uh, I don't know if you know, but the, there was a huge, uh, horrible genocide twenty 
20 plus years ago in 90, early 90s. And that was made easier because people had access to information that like the information we had and we we just felt that is in a worst case scenario sometime we would it would be so too horrible if our system helped uh, in something like that not that i think that it will happen but it's it's it it sort sort of just drove home how important integrity and privacy and user owned data is that mm. you need to a user you need to be able to trust who can see and understand who can see your data basically yeah, yeah yes. it's heavy it's, <laughs> it's really heavy it kept us awake for a while <laughs> at night yeah. how to solve that in a good way but 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 gdpr and a company that's sort of the structure we arrived at to be able to grow this and and to reach customers and show that there's value mm. and how did you start did you get uh, some investment first or did you start building something yourself? we started we started researching ourselves i would say we went mm -hmm. uh, longer trips for i think twice two summers we went in a row and did research and and, and tested our prototypes mm -hmm. and then when we felt okay this will actually be interesting for someone to buy and we sort of got good signals from from the markets uh, we went home and started uh, we applied for Vinova grants, mm -hmm. uh, and we got them, uh, one or two. So that took us through basically the first year, mm -hmm. and then we found our first investor, and who helped us grow to a slightly larger size. And then we uh, also found another larger group of investors that who are now supporting us. Mm -hmm. And how many years have you been uh, going strong? <laughs> well, we uh, we were incorporated in 2017, mm. so it's on the. F I I I find that the COVID year sort of years actually just blend together. I sort of missed a year here, in a way. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think I th it's a bit of a blank. But yes, it is five years uh, now, mm. so it's been a while. Cool. And let's mm. talk a bit about the technical uh, mm -hmm. solutions. So. Uh, what uh, technology are you using? Right now we have we, the web app and the uh, the mobile app is, is React and React Native. Mm -hmm. And then for the APIs we use uh, a well, a API management platform called uh, Apigee, which is sort of under the Google mm -hmm. Cloud umbrella, mm -hmm. basically. Uh, well, yeah. There. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, did you start by taking in some consultants or did you build something yourself or how did you start? We started, well, the actual building started with uh, with this first Vinova grant. Then mm. we were able to work with, with uh, a, I think it was, uh, it was two developers in Uganda. We mm. started when we wanted this local uh, to feel that this that we wanted developers who absolutely understood developing apps for uh, uh, Ugandan or East African mm. uh, users, because it is a bit different. Uh, mm. it, bandwidth is always an issue. Uh, it's a cost for the user to to go online, and mm. uh, space on phones is also an issue. So you need uh, something that is quite lightweight. Not saying that ours is, but <laughs> we we at least wanted it to be, and uh, also that we are not always developing for 
the most flashy phones out there, but actually mm. a very large portion of our user base will have uh, older phones, significantly older phones. Like we Nokia or something like that. I have seen one or two Nokias, yes, but it's uh, <laughs> most of it is uh, China droids uh, or Android mm -hmm. uh, that come directly from uh, China Chinese manufacturers. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some really big labels that that put out phones in Uganda and mm -hmm. Rwanda, and Rwanda actually has their own first African-made uh, phone, uh, Mara. Mm -hmm. It's a lovely phone. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. uh, very good. That is so interesting because mm -hmm. I was going to ask you about technical challenges mm -hmm. and that is really a technical challenge yes. when you are working towards a country that doesn't even have the no. flashy phones as you say. No. And how do you even make an app for an old Nokia? <laughs> Maybe not everyone has Nokia. But no, <laughs> no, no. What, what, what you do is you, you, uh, you try it out. I mean, mm. you, you, and when we traveled, we went there and we had, we got these, uh, I mean, 500 kroner phones and, and tried mm. it out and you realize, okay, this won't work. <laughs> <laughs> we have to do it differently. And you also have to support way older versions of Android. Mm. If we were only developing for Sweden, we would, uh, first of all, we would definitely need iOS. iOS is much, much smaller. Um, a lot of the financially strong people in, in East Africa, of course, have iPhones, but but the percentage is tiny. It's like three or four percent of the user base use iOS compared to here, which mm. is sort of like half-ish. Mm. Uh, but yeah, no, you do that. You try it and you, you get all the, suddenly you go back in your drawers and find that old phone and see, okay, it runs Android 4. Let me see if it works. Okay, it actually works. Good. <laughs> and, you can, and then you can go from there. Mm. So a lot of people would have, when in the first few trips, would have Android 4 or Android uh, 5. Um, now I think it's less, but, but mm. still. So it means that you have to be, have the whole span open longer than most people would need to for yeah. the older versions. That's oh, a challenge. And, uh, and now you have a team in India. Yes, said. we do. Yes, we do. Uh, we, we found a wonderful company. Uh, in India and when we were looking for extra resources and we just wanted to see will this work uh, long distance and the time difference and all of that and it, I think we hit it off to a beautiful start <laughs> and it's just been growing ever since uh, we have a lovely team with really 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 good developers and uh, I don't know where we would be without them uh, mm. it's been so good uh, it's brought the stability and the predictability mm -hmm. into development that we were sort of lacking before and it, yeah it's perfect mm -hmm. and did you come on some recommendation or how did you find them i think it was actually we we get approached every now and then from consultancy firms and uh and something about that email just drew us in it was just something in the tone that felt oh this sounds good and uh, so I think it was just a very good email <laughs> and a bit of that we were looking but we we hadn't seen anything we really liked uh, but 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 this company we did like mm. yeah and we were talking earlier uh, that you have a lot of women in your team we do we do I think we're sort of half half uh, mm -hmm. boys and girls or men and women in the team mm -hmm. uh, and also in the board uh, directors and management is is actually uh, predominantly women it's so it's uh, mm -hmm. more women than men yeah and that's uh, interesting because there are only 20 percent uh, 
developers that are women and uh, do you think there's a reason why <laughs> you have 50 percent is it because you're female founders or I, I i suppose it's like it's not something we have i mean we've always it would be unthinkable not to tr- not to be as equal as humanly possible and now mm. we're sort of we're leaning the other way so we might have to i don't know do some affirmative action <laughs> no i'm just kidding <laughs> but but uh it's it is um i don't know i often wonder why what we're doing i i suppose it is because we're women and we see you 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 hire and recognize competence when when it looks like your own i i think it's the same mm. same i suppose bias that that many who only hire uh, or predominantly hire men i don't f- i don't recognize that they're at least not from um and as I should also mention that we don't have a development team in Sweden anymore, mm-hmm. uh, so so uh, I don't see so many Swedish developers. Uh, mm-hmm. But but I do feel that we have had our fair share of women applicants. Maybe I I suppose it, if you see that the company is run by women, uh, then maybe you are attracted to us. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I think it it I suspect that I would feel feel that it was n- was nice to work in a in a group where to have that experience as well that is le- being led by women yeah mm. yeah i definitely think so i mean we at wita have worked a lot with uh, equality feminism and stuff like mm. that and um, i didn't know much before we started no. uh, but uh, i have learned that i mean one of the main reasons mm. is that I mean, you tend to hire people that look like, like humans tend to be drawn to people that are like themselves. Yes. And this is not so much that you can do. <laughs> no. Except for being like aware of it. Yes. But uh, yeah, we need more female uh, leaders. I think we do. I think we do. <laughs> and we talked a bit before. It's it's uh, also on a like a feminist note. It's it's uh, often gets asked to, or women are often asked. Uh, women leaders what do you do or why how do we solve this problem and i would mm. like to say that this is a question we should ask more men uh, more often mm. why why is your organization so skewed why mm. is it so uh, unequal in your organization it's like it's mm. not i can't help what's going on in another company i can only mm. work where i am and it's the same for for uh, for every other company i expect mm. you know? And did you have any role models when you started? I think so. I had I had my mother. She was is always she she's she's still living. Uh, she's interested in technology, and she was really interested in computers as well. Mm. She was sort of adamant that this is the future. This is this is going to change so many things in how we live and work. And uh, also, I come from a family with where women were doing things that uh, because they the men weren't around uh, and i don't mean my my parents but i mean further back it's like i have a long tradition of <laughs> women who took over and ran the farm for decades because the men were away working somewhere else so it's like there i i think that those i don't know prejudices about but what's appropriate for a woman just weren't applicable and also my parents were very strong in in saying that you're a girl yes but you're first of all you're a human and then these things that if you want to do something you should try it and it's okay to not succeed but it's if you want to try it try it it's it's Mm -hmm. okay they'd never held us back they made me and my brother 
do laundry. They made us do change tires on the car to the neighbor's <laughs> amusement. <laughs> but we did all of those things, both of us. It's not just me changing tires, but it's also him doing laundry. So I think they were conscious. So I think that is, in a way, th even if it's small and it's not like at a professional level, I think it has changed me or made me who I am, that they were so aware of it and they actually took a stance and said we're not we're developing our or we're supporting our children to grow in this or that direction mm. so thank you mom and dad <laughs> <laughs> cool and we're going to talk a bit about uh, leadership yes <clears throat> do you have a leadership style I don't know. You would have to ask uh, my my colleagues, but I think I know what's important to me uh, as a leader, and I think it's relationships. That's the like you have uh, transparent and clear expectations on each other, and that you're not too afraid to give like constructive feedback when needed. Uh, I'm a, like a conflict shy person naturally, so I've had to work really hard on actually saying things that I find so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, to, uh, especially when when I'm not getting what I need from from my team or my colleagues. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's uh, yeah, I, I would say transparency and and openness is important to me, but also high demands and that my team feel that they have meaningful and difficult uh, tasks uh, if if they feel that it's too boring or too far away from where they want to go i know they will get bored eventually so it's important for me that they feel that this is building on their career where they want to go themselves what and, and sort of be in line with what motivates them on a like emotional and personal level otherwise i'm never going to get uh, anything from them and if mm -hmm. if 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 that is sort of out of sync it doesn't matter how good a developer you are because your your heart isn't in it. You're, it's not the. I, I I mean you don't have to think about coding the first thing you when you wake up, but it helps <laughs> if you if you feel that impulse and 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 you have that joy when you when you work, uh, and that's a bit of an utopia, of course, because this is reality and we have deadlines and we have we're rushed and things might not be as well described as they should be and you have conflicts and all of that, but. Mm. That's what I try to to do, at least to have a uh, to be as clear as possible about what I expect and to find what it is in the person I'm working with that moves them, uh, and then to feed that as much as possible. Mm. Yeah, being scared of conflicts is very common. <laughs> oh yes, and and that's maybe that that brings us back to uh, what we're socialized. As uh, mm. and uh, growing up in Sweden and being a good girl and and uh, being polite and all of that, it's not easy to uh, both show someone that you are not giving me what I need uh, and you have to be extremely vulnerable to say it. Like things are not working for me now. Uh, I, I am frustrated. I'm angry. Even and that mm. is so hard. It takes exercise, but it's doable. And you, I have wonderful support from my other colleagues, and we we. Uh, in, in growing there mm. because you can change you can learn to do things that you think are more or less impossible like giving everyone in the world an address <laughs> when they don't have it and what do you do if someone doesn't deliver because mm -hmm. this happens often <laughs> well, what do you say what's your tactics first i would probably uh, 
be very uncomfortable for a while and I will go around and think about it and brood and wait longer than I should on, in attacking it, then I will probably talk to one of my colleagues who sort of can see what's going on from the side and try to come up with some kind of strategy and practice myself to sort of just say what it is, what is it that I need to say? I need to say this, okay, and then I'll practice because I really have to <laughs> practice. I am so, it's so hard for me <laughs> to mm. do that. Uh, and then you talk to them and one, it's remarkable because a lot of the time I find I spend so much time thinking about thinking about it and not saying it. And once I've actually said it, things change. Mm. It's really that simple. You just have to say it and then then uh, follow up and follow up again and and just keep at it. It's it's like when you I, with your children, if you want them to change a behavior, you have to be at them every time for at least like 10, 15 times until it changes. Mm. So it's 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 that. And then after the 15th time, it's over. It's it's like done. Mm. And have you ever had to let someone go? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And usually it's because either uh, there's a mismatch with this, what drives a person and what they want and what they perceive the role to be. And uh, it's usually not that we, we don't get along or, or anything like that. It's, it's usually just that they are, that there's, there's not a fit, that, that what they want to do is not what we can offer them mm-hmm. to do right now. Uh, so that has happened, of course. And mm-hmm. it, it, the first few times it was horrible. It was like I felt I was uh, abandoning my friends and uh, because I really, uh, and it's still horrible every time you have to do it. But I mean, you're a person, you like people and you want to, <laughs> you want to keep the people you like around you. But you also have to think of the best interest of the company and that is that we all move in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And if we're not, we have to remove those who are going somewhere else, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Oh, the tough. Yes, side of being a leader. Yes, it is. And also being a founder, because it's like my responsibility is and a board member. It's it's also not I, I just I don't have the luxury of just feeling good in my team. I, I have to think of the the long run and how we grow this over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's hard. Mm-hmm. But it's fun. It's like I, I me and Caroline, we sometimes we just look at each other and say, oh, can you believe that we get paid to do this already? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is actually our jobs Not now. Not year, <laughs> years. <laughs> it was several years where we we mm. uh, didn't get salaries, and the first few months after that was just like, where did this money come from? Oh, oh yes, salary. Oh, that's right. So that was that was nice. Mm. Yeah, the uh, pros overweigh the cons. Oh okay. yes, oh yes, definitely. This is. Uh, I would do it. Don't tell my board, but I would do it even if I didn't get paid. I think <laughs> if no, I could we afford are it. That up, definitely. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, that was all my questions for today. Uh, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for thank coming. Thank you. This it's was great fun to have you here. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. WeTal Talks is created by WeTal, a coding community with thousands of developers. In our app, you can find your next career opportunity or join tech conversations. See you next time.